The Catholic Channel Sirius XM 129 presents Just Love with your host, Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, Executive Director of Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of New York. Welcome back to Just Love. This week, we're looking at a number of different things on Just Love. We're going to talk a little bit about proms. Now, that may seem a little bit unusual to you, but we'll get into that a little bit later. And then we're going to talk about workers, but a particular category of workers, day laborers. Those are the guys who maybe many of you have seen in different parts of the country where they line up on a corner and they're looking for work in construction. They're looking for work doing landscaping and people come by, they pick them up and say, hey, here's what's going on and here's what um, I need somebody to help me kind of you know, cut the grass. I need somebody to help me build a wall or something like that. And they kind of make a deal. So we're going to talk a little bit about that in the New York metropolitan area. And then we're going to talk a little bit about um, kind of what's going on in Central America and some of, um, and and what's going on in that part of the world. So, um, but I am excited to talk about proms. And one of the reasons is I never, ever went to a prom. Oh. (laughs) Never, ever. So um, I've done a lot of interesting things in my life. And maybe going to a prom isn't interesting, but I never (laughs) went to a prom. Tom, how about you? Have you gone to a prom? Yes, Monsieur. I have actually many, many proms, many. Really? Of, uh, yeah, <laughs> I say I went to my own two, and then I was kind of like the stand-in guy. Like if my friend had a girlfriend, and right. she had a friend who right. didn't have a date, I was like the stand-in guy that went on, uh, that went to those proms. So I did. Yes. Okay. So I, I, I'm, I'm all prommed out, Monsieur. <laughs> all right. So I mean, now I mean, I did go to the minor seminary we didn't have a prom so i i understand that i didn't go to prom that way but but as you said it seems to me from just reading about proms is oftentimes they need an extra yes exactly. to, but i never was even good enough to be an extra so, i mean i never did a did a prom but anyway so um uh anyway so i'm delighted to talk with um uh, Samaya Green, and we're going to talk about uh, who's at Innovation Diploma Plus High School. Um, Samaya Green, thank you for joining us on Just Love. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure I to be am, here. Good. I am delighted. So listen, I was just telling Tom that I never went to a prom. Never went to a prom. But you are going to a prom or you went to a prom or you're getting ready for going to a prom. And you also went to a kind of an interesting um, prom clothing event. Oh, a couple of weeks ago, didn't you? Mm-hmm. I did. Oh. So Samaya, tell our listeners about, well, tell our listeners where you go to school. And then I go to them- Innovation Diploma Plus. It's, we call it IDP. Okay. I'm here with. Mr. Villar, Ms. Carmona, Ms. Liz, Ms. Ortiz, Mr. Eric, and Ms. Jen. They're like the advisors here and they help out all the students any way they can. 
So, so shout out to them. Shout out to them. Okay. That's great. Samaya, but that's got a funny name, like Innovation mm-hmm. Diploma Plus. Tell me a little bit about the high school. Do you like the high school? I love it here. Everybody is so welcoming. It feels like home. This is really the first school I've been to my entire life that I feel like that I feel like I'm accepted for who I am. I don't feel like I have to be somebody else to, you know, be accepted. So I like that. Now, how um, the teachers here, they're nice. They help anywhere they can. Like you come to them with a problem, whether it's like with school or personal, they help you with everything you need. You like school? I do. I do. I enjoy ELA is my favorite subject. I love to read and write. So that's right up my alley. Okay. So, so what's your favorite subject? ELA. Ah. If not ELA, then I would say um, living environment. I like science. So living environment, that was a good class. I like that class. So for some of our listeners who might not know what the initials stand for, what's ELA? English language arts. Ah, okay. Do you like to write? Mm-hmm. You any good um, at it? Yeah, but I feel like I like come down on myself too hard about the things that I write. Because like when other people read it, they be like, this is good. But I feel like because I'm self-conscious about the things I write, I don't think it's that good. But like if you ask one of my teachers like Miss Cherry or Miss Dangulo, they'll tell you that I know how to write good. But I don't think so because I feel like that's it's just in my head. So, so yeah. So so Samaya, because I'm many many years older than you, mm-hmm. I've written a lot lot more than you. I'm not saying better, but I've written a lot lot more than you. Oh, of course. So let me give you a little bit of a hint, okay? Mm-hmm. A little bit of hint about writing. After you write it. You have to edit it and you have to rewrite it. And then you have to rewrite it again. So that my, my, my experience after all these years is a lot of people think they should be finished after one or two kind of versions of what they're writing. But you always have to keep going back and back to seeing how you can make it better. And you almost never stop editing it until you run out of time. So that's a little bit of advice that it takes a lot of rewrites in order to keep making it better. So that's a little bit of advice that I'm giving. Made me feel a little better. Yeah. Is that right? Thank you. Yeah, you gotta keep you gotta keep writing. So tell me now about um the prom. The prom, oh my god, it's on May 19th. We're gonna be on a boat with another school, Liberty. Okay. And we've been on two trips with them, and I like them. I like Miss Gina, that's my favorite over there. So I feel like it's gonna be a fun night. I don't feel like it's gonna be any problems. Everybody's gonna have fun, you know. And then the dress giveaway, that was a very beautiful thing. It was very beautiful to see, you know, everybody from different parts of the city come together. It was beautiful to see, you know, some of my teachers there. It was beautiful to see people getting things that they loved, people trying on dresses that they loved. It was just a beautiful thing, really, because a lot of people, they can't afford some of those things that, like, a lot of people can. 
So right. this was a really nice way to like give back to everybody. So did, did, did you get a dress? Um, none of them really fit me the way I liked it to fit. Right. But the dresses were beautiful. There was so many nice gowns. And there was like, you know, mermaid dresses. There was cupcake dresses. It was just, everything was beautiful. Even though some of the stuff didn't fit me. Right. If like it did fit me, I would wear it because everything was beautiful there. Uh, so so you're looking forward to the prom on May 19th. Yeah. Do you like, do you like fashion? Um, As I'm getting older now, yeah. I used to be kind of like a tomboy. So like. I'm like getting more into my feminine era, you know? Right. So I'm happy for this chance to just dress up and just be a princess for a night. Okay. So so let me ask you about something, something else. Did you watch any of the gowns at the Met Gala? Yeah. My What'd favorite one, I would say it was Cardi B's because she became choreographer. Like she had the tie and then the hair color. It was just... It was just, I liked that dress a lot. And a lot of them were wearing pink. And Carl Lagerfeld, he liked pink, but he said, think pink, don't wear it. So I don't, I didn't like that people was wearing pink. So what about the guy who was doing the interviews on the side? Did you see, you see what he had on? Who? Uh, I forget his name, but he, he had a pink suit on with all sequence on it and and he had a train coming off his jacket that went all the way down to the to the floor and he was at the side of that doing interviews with as everybody kind of came up so the best dress one was an interviewer that's that's well i'm not saying he was the best dressed that's what i'm saying okay the way you're describing this to me it sounds very very on theme but he also had but he had pink on. He had pink yeah. on. Pink on. But uh, anyway, you know, somebody else told me that um, that her favorite dress was Cardi B's dress. So, so you, so you got a, you got some company in thinking that was the that was the the best dress that was there. So, let, let me ask you about the prom. Um, mm-hmm. What what do you like about the prom? What what's what makes the prom so special. It's special to me because all my friends are going to be there. Like everybody I'm cool with confirmed to me that they was going. So it's going to make it fun for me. Um, also, it's on a boat. I feel like the pictures are going to be so nice with like the city in the back on the boat. So another thing is that um, they didn't have prom like when I first came to the school. So okay. when there was a chance to have a party now, I'm happy that I'm here to enjoy it, you know, because I would hate to like graduate and then they bring back the prom. So yeah. I'm happy I got the opportunity to be here in this moment in time. So where's the boat going? Where where do you get the boat? Um, I think it's by the harbor. I'm, I think by lower Manhattan. I'm not sure. I got to see. OK. OK. So let me. So Tom, who uh, is also on with us today. Tom has a very interesting boat story. Now, this boat story is probably before you were born because it was the week before um, September 11th when it was attacked 
on the World Trade Center. Top, oh, yeah, I was born in 2005. No, 2001. No, I was born in 2005. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. So, Tom, tell tell Samara and tell our listeners um, your boat story uh, the week before the um, the uh, the World Trade Center attack. Sherman's here. Well, it was it was kind of interesting. Uh, we gathered. We were part of a, a group of Catholic charities uh, folks from around the country uh, who were uh, together for the annual Catholic Charities convening, Catholic Charities USA convening, and we took a boat trip to Ellis Island, um, which is where a lot of uh, of of people many years ago, when they would first migrate to the United States, they'd land in Ellis Island. So we took a trip out to Ellis. Ellis Island on the ferry and we were able to get to Ellis Island and and it was really a very beautiful event but the interesting thing that Monsignor kind of mentioned is I had a I had a camera that and so my you're not going to know what this is but because we take pictures on our phones today (laughs) but this was (laughs) but but this was actually a disposable camera so it was this camera that you just kind of went to the five and dime store or the bodega you'd pick up a camera and you'd take pictures because I knew I would see friends. And what happened was I went and then my my colleague, Allison, said to me, look at the World Trade Center, which I did at the time. It was beautiful. It was just as the sun was going down and it was all sepia. So she said, take a picture of it. And I said, well, I said, you know, I wanted to save the photos for my friends. But then I said, no, I'll get a picture. So I took a photograph of the World Trade Center and just the way the light hit it, it was absolutely beautiful. And um, and I forgot about it, really. And then what happened was that was a Saturday before the Tuesday when the World Trade Center collapsed. So that when I went, I remember it, I had that photo. So when I went to the uh, store to get the photo developed, which is what we had to do back years ago, too, uh, we went to go get the, the, the photo developed. And the guy in the store had had blown my photo up because it was just he had said it was such a beautiful photo. And he had put it in the window. Now, the thing was, he didn't ask me about that beforehand. <laughs> he just kind of went and did it. But uh, but it was really beautiful. And then we showed it to Monsignor Sullivan. And then Monsignor just thought it was such a great photo. We made copies for it. And we sent it to all the Catholic Charities agencies around the country who who were able to help us during that during that time. So it was really it was it was it wasn't a prom, but it was a boat ride. <laughs> and Samaya, I hope you get some good pictures on on the boat and uh, and we want we want to see we want to see what you wind up your gown for the for the prom i'm sure it's going to be very very nice thank you okay hey samaya thank you so much for joining us and kind of sharing a little bit of your your experience and uh uh hope you have a great prom and hope you have a good good graduation thank you I appreciate you for having me. Oh, I'm delighted. Samaya Green, who (laughs) is a student at Innovation Diploma Plus High School, and she participated in the 17th annual prom clothing event, and so at Alianza Dominicana Cultural Center. Samaya, thank you for being with us on Just Love. Thank you for having me. Have a good day, everybody. Bye-bye. Um, all right, Tom. So, uh, I did you, did you uh, 
So, Tom, I have to ask you, did you wear a tuxedo to your proms? I, I, I did, Monsieur, and, and it was funny. What the, the, the tuxedos we used to wear were, because uh, I, I went to school again back in the day. Right. And so what it used to be was, like, the, the guy would have to wear, the, the tie would have to match the girl's dress. Oh. So, like, <laughs> so I have all sorts of red and green and blue all sorts of crazy colored ties that you know you would go out and you try to get the matching thing for too so yeah okay. no i yeah i was from that era <laughs> all right so um all right so tom i think uh why don't we take a break and we'll um and then we'll come back and we'll speak about uh day laborers just love just love god just love your neighbor just love yourself and our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate We'll be back in just a moment on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. Let's get back to Just Love and your host, Monsignor Kevin Sullivan. A working class hero is something to be. A working class hero is something to be. Welcome back to Just Love, our weekly conversation about what's going on in the world through the prism of our. Catholic social beliefs, the dignity of the human person, the importance of work, options and preference for those who are poorest and most vulnerable, family, solidarity, stewardship of the environment. Those are the things that are very much the motifs that run through our Catholic social teaching. And so 
what we're going to talk about now is work and the dignity of work. And we're going to speak with Lucia Goyen, who is the director of the day laborer program at Catholic Charities here in New York. And she is doing just a tremendously good job at that and had a very, very good week. So, Lucia, thank you so much for uh, being with us on Just Love. Thank you, Monsignor. It's a pleasure. Hey, Lucia, for our listeners, give them a little sense of your background. How'd you wind up in kind of doing this type of work? Like, where'd you grow up and how'd you get interested in this? Sure. So I'm an immigrant myself. I moved to the United States when I was three. I was born in Uruguay, South America. Um, And so I grew up in the United States um, and I always felt there was obviously a huge injustice of who gets to come here with visas and who gets to legally come and all of that. And so just growing up, I realized I wanted to get involved in the fight to make, you know, immigration fairer for all. And I've have very close family members who are day laborers or started as day laborers who are undocumented individuals just trying to survive day in and day out. So it's important for me to get involved with the day labor program and really serve the whole person while the legal pieces are worked out. Hey, you know what, Lucy, I'm going to, you know, sometimes I think many of us in the United States, because the country is so big, we kind of, you know, don't look outside the country as much as maybe we should. And, you know, probably there aren't a lot, some of our listeners may not be very familiar with Uruguay. Mm-hmm. So tell, give our listeners a little bit of a, I'm not asking for a travel guide, <laughs> but but give our listeners a little bit of, of an education on Uruguay. How big is it? Where is it? Give us a little bit of the culture and stuff like that. Make us all a little bit smarter. Sure. No problem. Happy to also provide a travel guide if any listeners are interested. But... Oh, all right. All right. <laughs> um, yes, Uruguay is a very small country. It's between Brazil and Argentina. It actually became independent kind of to stop the fighting between this land piece as they were both fighting over this. And a lot of people confuse Uruguayans for Argentinians because we're the only two countries that kind of have the je in Spanish or like me llamo, pojo. So a lot of people think I'm from Argentina when I first speak. Um, so that happens a lot. Um, and Uruguay, while it's very small, we only have maybe about 6 million people total. And so it's very small. Um, you know, have fewer than all of New York City, pretty much. Um, in total population, we have, you know, a diverse culture, mainly from Europe, a lot of Germans, a lot of Italians, a huge mix. Unfortunately, the indigenous population is one that was pretty much decimated. So there is, um, that word actually is an indigenous word that means river of painted birds. Um, but the indigenous population is very, very small. Um, and so people a lot of times don't don't see that, especially if they have kind of a stereotypical view of who's a Latino or think it's all Mayan or indigenous cultures or things like that. It's a mix. And so um, there, there is that kind of different population there as well. Great. That, that certainly made me a lot smarter than I than I was. Um, so but, it, you know, the other thing which I'm intrigued about, where were your where were some of your family members day laborers? Where did they uh where they uh, line up? Here, actually, in New York, in Westchester, and Austining, and in Peekskill, mainly. And so they were here in New York. And I do have some, you know, friends and family who also, in, I grew up in Miami. So I had some who were like, um, who I knew that worked in the farms there, or who also were undocumented in the Miami area. Yeah. So um, tell us now what, you, what you're doing. What's your, what's your current job? 
So my current job is director of day labor programs, proud to serve this program. And basically we have two, one in the South Bronx and Yonkers, where we comprehensively serve day laborers, everything from trainings, just construction trainings, like safety to, uh, you know, uh, comprehension, ESLL, co computer classes, uh, those kinds of activities so that they can also do other skills besides just work day to day, connecting them to work opportunities in the area that are vetted and that pay well, things of that nature, um, and then assist with things like wage theft, workers' rights, making sure they're connected to various resources, health insurance, driver's licenses, the consulate, uh, anything they may need, especially during the pandemic, really trying to get access to things as many of them were excluded from unemployment insurance and federal funding because they were undocumented, um, trying to get them ex uh, connected to the excluded workers fund once that was passed, or other things that could help them during the time where they really couldn't access any other resources. So see, let's jump, uh, and um, I'll just do a little bit of a lead-in. Now, Lucia was kind of instrumental in organizing and coordinating and the impetus for two really, really very, very important uh, events in the past few weeks. Now, a little bit of the background is um, for our listeners that uh, May 1st is the Feast of St. Joseph the Worker. May 1st is celebrated in some countries and when there were more communist countries as May Day, the day of the worker. They were in, in Russia, there were big military parades, et cetera, et cetera. And what happened was the Catholic Church uh, basically kind of said, well, you know, our social teaching is that workers are critically important and the dignity of work is very, very important. So we don't, we need to make sure that it's not just the communists who kind of are talking about sticking up for the workers, but we have to own our own legacy. So they created the feast of St. Joseph the Worker to celebrate work. So with that as a little bit of a lead-in, Lucia, tell our listeners about the two events that you kind of were instrumental in kind of putting together around the feast of St. Joseph the Worker earlier uh, earlier this month. Oh, sure. So thanks for that. Also, I, I just got smarter, too. I had no idea that was the background of St. Joseph the Worker. Yep. So thank you for that. Um, so, yes, we had some two wonderful events on uh, April 30th. We had a mass celebrating St. Joseph the Worker in St. Patrick's Cathedral. And so we had uh, we work in different alliances in both uh, New York City and Westchester. So we had our coalition partners who also work with workers and day laborers come out, bring their banners, their workers, uh, their shirts, their hats, everything just to show the pride of the workers. And so we had probably around 200 workers or so there uh, who came through could process in. And also we had a table set up in the front where they could put up their the workers who have passed away either during COVID or, or workplace accidents as the 28th, uh, April 28th is the day of the fallen worker. And so we were able to celebrate them as well and recognize them um, during the, one of the intentions at the mass. So we had different workers read, different community leaders read the readings and also different intentions um, for immigrants and of course for the workers and to just really give them thanks for the incredible work they do that sometimes really just goes unnoticed. Um, and then May 1st, we had their official- so so let me yes. let me stop you for just a second, sure. because, as you said, there were 
maybe 200 or more workers, the cathedral, for our listeners, um, Sunday was an awful weather day. <laughs> yeah. And it was raining and it was not nice. And that over 200 workers came out. Um, it was really, really made it such a nice celebration and is a tribute to the good organizing work that that Lucia did. So that was Sunday. And then the sun came out on Monday and the sun came out and tell us about the Monday event. So Monday was the official opening of our day labor center in Yonkers, our training center. Um, so we had a soft opening since last July, and it's been many, many years in the making. And so we were finally able to have the official opening and have Cardinal Dolan come out and bless the space and take a tour and see all the wonderful work we do out there. We had a lot of uh, politicians, community leaders come out and just celebrate. And we heard from the workers themselves to talk about the importance of having a center. It's right above uh, the gas station, which is one of the main paradas or stops where the workers wait for work and so it's a place where they could come in use the bathroom without having to worry get coffee get food connect with each other connect with resources and such as English classes for instance if they can't find work that day they can pop into an English class um, or just connect with I need help with my rent I need help with this I need diapers for my child whatever it may be um, and then also find uh, job opportunities in the future once we get more of those that we can promote out to the workers and it's just a place for people to also connect to different trainings and sign up for all the different enrichment classes and the different trainings that we offer at the center. So it was a really nice event to celebrate all the work um, that Janet and the workers have done in that in Yonkers for so many years and really having a home and just inviting the community to, to be a part of it and to know that we're there and to come whenever they like. Lucia, thank you. Thank you for that. I'm going to ask you to describe something for our listeners. I mean, I think for, for many of us, you know, when we think about a job, Okay, you work for this company, you work for this business, and you know maybe your hours are you know from six p m or from noon to eight p m or nine to five, or maybe you work a weekend shift, but you know you know when you're working you go and you you go to a building or maybe now you even do a remote but you but that's not what day laborers do, and so paint a picture. For our listeners who say, what is this day labor stuff? I mean, uh, how does this work? Thank you. Yeah, I'm so immersed in it. I forget often. (laughs) But usually when I start with conversations, I ask, do people even know what that term means? So yes, that basically means someone is, for whatever reason, cannot have a stable job. Um, and so they don't have that, you know, connectivity to a company or a long-term employer or restaurant, something like that. And so they have to just find what's available that day. So many of the workers will stand out at gas stations, at home depots, on street corners, and just wait. It could be anyone from a private citizen, homeowner, who's just like, I need a room painted. I'm moving today. Can somebody help me? I'll pay you for your time. To contractors for construction companies or other sites that I need 10 guys today who know how to paint. I know I need people who know how to put up sheetrock, whatever it is. And so again, that's basically what it means. Every day they're trying to find different projects that they could use their expertise and get paid. And often they're paid just at the end of the day. So um, what types of work do they do? You know, in your experience, what, what are the different things they get picked up to do? 
So um, here in New York City and in Yonkers, the main work is construction. So it's uh, renovating homes, painting, sheetrock, scaffolding, those kinds of things. Um, we're tra training workers in electricity and things like that. So hopefully they can get into higher level things, but carpentry or maybe plumbing down the road. Um, but a lot of it is that's like home improvement, home renovations, and then actually working directly on the many, many construction sites in New York City. Uh, we also have women who work in nanny work and other types of homework or home attendance they're interested in. And so there's that type of work. But for the men, it's usually around the construction and trades industry. Well, you know, but that work can be somewhat dangerous. Yes. It can be a lot of injuries that are associated with. Sadly, you know, usually a few times a year, we read a, a story in which something happened on a construction site. Um, you know, and some of these people who are coming you know, may not have a lot of, they have a lot of industriousness, but maybe not a lot of training. So what are you doing to kind of keep them safe? Oh, definitely. It's very important. So um, in both sites, we offer the basic, it's called OSHA, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration site safety training. So it's either 30 or 40 hours, depending if it's in the city or outside of a lot, I call it basic, but it's really not basic, but it's the baseline construction safety, how to protect yourself on the job, how to make sure everything is set up properly, how to make sure basically you don't die, right? How to really be secure on a job site and see what's a hole, what's an employer doing something incorrectly so you can report them and make sure you have all the proper tools, hard hats, work boots, all that given to you by the employer. Again, so you can stay safe, um, you can stay healthy, you don't lose limbs, and you, as uh, our other organizer, Juan Pablo, says from the Bronx, that you don't come home with no limbs, a missing eye, and you come home safe and sound every day. So interestingly, because I was at the, the event on Monday, which was a wonderful event, um, can you say a little bit about the first day laborer who spoke, made some remarks, and he actually said, um, you saved my life. Do you yes. know what he was talking about? Yes, I, he was, um, you know, he was, I believe before coming to us, he was working in very risky situations. It was just, you know, because he didn't have the training. He was basically saying, I'll go wherever. I'll, sure, that sounds like a good wage. I need to feed my family today. I'll go. And he didn't really realize all of the safety hazards that appeared on these sites or in homes where homeowners are not familiar. And so once he did take the training with us, he realized, oh, you know, there are safety hazards that I see every day. And now I can really protect myself to understand what I should be provided, what is unsafe, what is something that uh, is a cutting a corner, which sounds like, great, I'm going to save time and be able to save this person money, but that could really harm me or my coworkers. And so that's basically what he was referring to is that, you know, these trainings were really important for them to have that knowledge and just be more aware on sites. You, you've mentioned that this type of, of work, um, that it was really, really impacted by COVID. Mm -hmm. um, is it back or what's, you know, I know we're on the other side of COVID um, pretty much, but actually, you know, not somebody at Catholic Charities, but somebody um, I know works someplace else, just got an email from her saying, oh, um, I tested positive. Mm -hmm. So we, we are on the other side of it. I, I don't think we can pretend we're not. There's still a little there. But it, so what, how is that impacting our day laborers? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, definitely during the pandemic, 
it's a it's a you know ripple effect and repercussions from that. So unfortunately, a lot of heads of households passed away or got very sick, and because they can't have access to like long term health insurance or long term uh, rehabilitation services, it's something that's continuing to uh, affect them now. Some of them cannot cannot work after getting COVID and getting it very uh, strongly in the beginning. You know, where it was very strong, there was no vaccines, that kind of thing. Luckily, when the vaccines rolled out, then we were able to offer many, many times and still do during our trainings, uh, COVID vaccines and flu vaccines, and the community is much more uh, open to it. At the beginning, they were also very nervous about the vaccine, whether they could get it, if immigration was going to take their information. So there was a lot of that fear. Um, but yes, unfortunately, you know, for some families, it, it created a huge gap that still exists today. And some of them are still trying to, you know, piece their way out of back rent, back electricity bills, back all health bills, all these things that have not gone away that they still have to focus on. Um, while And now, while we are on the other side, there's fewer people getting sick, people are still getting hospitalized, they're still getting sick from it. And especially this population that's more vulnerable, living in crowded conditions, going to sites wherever they can, where people may not be as careful. It's still, you know, they're still the, the number one group that's going to get it more often than other places where people are more used to wearing masks and things like that, or there's more PPE around, that kind of thing. So it is something we continue to see that it's going to be many, many years, or some people have long COVID symptoms. All that is still being, you know, affecting that population. So is he a, I mean, Fortunately, you know, most times things work out pretty, pretty well between the day laborer and the person. But there's more than a few times that it doesn't work out well. So what 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 are you doing? What's Catholic Charities and um, uh, Obreros Unidos, the United Workers doing to deal with those type of situations when maybe people, you know, don't get paid? Yes, this is a huge issue. Um, and we work very closely with workers first to tell them how to try to prevent wage theft. So even if they're working with a homeowner, a private person, they should be logging their hours. They take a picture of the license plate of the person who's picking them up at the parada, really how to protect themselves, telling a, a friend or another coworker, I'm going to this place at this time, you know, just basic safety measures. Um, so hopefully that kind of keeps people honest. Like I am logging this information. It's not a factory where I have a time part, but it counts just as much for the Department of Labor, if you are marking all that down and have proof of the amount of time you work, what you agreed to as wage and things like that. And so that's the beginning stages. If then it does happen, we have a kind of various levels that we can help workers. Anything from us calling up the person and saying, hey, this person says you didn't pay them fully or you didn't pay them at all. What's going on? Sometimes that's enough for them to say, oh, someone's behind this person. Let me just pay up so I don't get into any issues. Um, all the way to if we have to, helping them file in small claims court or even legal action with like legal aid or worker justice center or other partners to actually put legal action against a contractor or a homeowner, someone who refuses to pay thousands of dollars or at stake, that kind of thing. So there's various levels depending on what's needed, how much is owed, uh, or even working very closely with Department of Labor, both the state and federal, um, on these investigations of people that continuously um, steal wages from this population. Lucia, before I let you go, any other thing that you want to share with our listeners so that they get a fuller understanding of day laborers and the program and the work that is being done with them? 
I think the biggest thing to know is that, um, you know, a lot of people kind of segment immigration groups in general. Oh, the Ukraine. Oh, the Afghan. Oh, day laborers, like as they're all separate. And really almost day laborers for many, many populations is kind of the starting point. People come here and they need to find a job. They don't have papers yet, whatever that means in that case, if it's coming or if it's not coming. And so a lot of them do start here. And so it's important for people to know it's kind of an arc of being an immigrant here in the United States. And so it's not just one population. Why can't they, why can't they become legal, quote unquote, or why can't they become citizens? It's not such an easy question. And so it's important for people to think of this more as a trajectory rather than segmented populations that are separate from one another. Lucia Goyen, who is the director of the Catholic Charities Day Labor Program in Yonkers, New York, and in the Bronx, uh, part of New York City. Thank you for all the work you're doing. And thanks so much for joining us for a few minutes on Just Love today. Thank you so much, Monsignor. It was a pleasure. Just love. Just love God. Just love your neighbor. Just love yourself. And if all of us did that, all six billion plus of us did that, then the world certainly would be more just and it would be more compassionate. We'll be back in just a moment on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. Just do it. Just love. Just check out Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, who's here right now. 
Take it away, Monsignor. Just love your neighbor, just love yourself, and our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. Um, we speak about those things which uh, impact a lot of what's going on in the world through the perspective of our Catholic social teaching. Mother's Day um, is a day in which there are a lot of flowers. Flowers are imported from different parts of the world. Um, and there were workers in those places. And so we're going to have a conversation with uh, Chrissy Stonebreaker Martinez, who is the uh, co-director of the Interreligious Task Force on Central America and Colombia. Uh, Chrissy Stonebreaker Martinez, uh, we're delighted that you are going to join us on uh, Just Love and uh, to share with us some of the work of the um, Interreligious Task Force on Central America and and Colombia. Um, uh, Tom, is Chrissy with us? Yes. Okay. All right. So, um, Chrissy, um, Chrissy Stonebreaker-Martinez, thank you for being with us on Just Love. Thanks so much for having me. So, Chrissy, could you tell us uh, a little bit about the um, Interreligious Task Force on Central America and Colombia? I would be honored. Uh, the, inter- the Interreligious Task Force on Central America and Colombia is uh, currently located in Cleveland, Ohio. There were several organizations like ours that were confederated that um, joined together after the death of four Catholic women in El Salvador. Two of those women were from Cleveland, Jean Donovan and Ursuline's sister, Dorothy Kazel. And two of those women were from New York, uh, Marinol sisters, Moore Clark and Eda Ford. And they were killed by U.S. trained and funded forces in El Salvador on December 2nd of 1980. And people who were already working on um, Central American Solidarity, Latin American Solidarity projects came together with Catholics, Jews, secular folks, Protestants people of all moral um, assuasions, people who knew them came together to commemorate their legacies, speak out against um, our complicity and uh, also to support the beautiful work that these women were doing, helping refugees in El Salvador. And um, I had the honor of visiting uh, El Salvador and visiting the communities that they were working with uh, just in December and, you know, the work continues. The solidarity and the legacy that they started really um, is a testimony to what allyship and um, being a good neighbor and following um, Catholic social teaching is all about. Oh, well, thank you for that background. You know, let me, since you mentioned, let me jump ahead a little bit to what you just mentioned, that you were relatively recently in El Salvador. Um, and I've been seeing some things in the in the media that uh, 
that the situation in El Salvador when it comes to some of the gangs and the violence has actually improved over the past four or five years. Did you pick up any of that in your your visit there? I actually, um, I was working really closely with a couple of organizations, uh, the SHARE Foundation, which is a um, solidarity group that's led by uh, someone who was who is Salvadoran, who lives in California, and who is in deep relationship with um, the uh, the National Council on Religious Women. Is that the or the Leadership Council on Religious Women, right. LCWR, um, on women religious. Right. Uh, and they take delegations all the time. And we also work uh, really closely with the Centro de Intercambio y Solidaridad, um, the CIS. And what we're seeing actually in the current state of exception in El Salvador is um, although um, certain types of crime have been reduced on paper, uh, there has been a huge um, increase in the type of violence that the state is perpetuating on civilians. So we're finding that a lot of people who are not affiliated with the gangs in any way, shape, or form who live in autonomous communities like the Romero community or on the Isla del Espiritu Santo who have been um, criminalized uh, for uh, simply being, um, for simply existing, for being part of a worker co-op, for instance. Uh, And there's been over 60,000 people who've been imprisoned. Uh, And what I'm seeing as someone from the Colombian diaspora is a similar case to the false positives that used to happen in Colombia, where uh, civilians would be killed and then the government would say that they were um, that they were guerrilla combatants, even and like dress them up in guerrilla clothing, even though the community community members were sure that these were civilians that were subsistence farmers, etc. There's been over 90 deaths in El Salvador um, in the detention centers, and um, the current president has actually called himself the quote unquote friendliest dictator in the world. So I'm we're actually seeing a return to some of the policies that were happening in um the nineteen eighties when St. Oscar Romero and the church women were killed. Okay. Well thank you for that. Um so let's move on. I mean we talked about the fact that at this time of the year there are a lot of flowers and Mother's Day and things of that. So what are fair trade flowers? Yeah. Um, well, you know, just like I went to visit El Salvador in um, December, I went to visit Honduras in December as well. And my family is in Colombia, which is the world's largest producer of flowers. And yes, you're right. Mother's Day is um, one of the largest flower giving times of the year. Uh, and my mom's birthday and her and my father's anniversary is also in May. So I pick up lots of flowers during this month. Um, But, you know, there are subsistence farmers who um, don't just grow plants that we eat. They also grow plants that um, are part of our um, joyful living and plants that we give as gifts as um, that we adorn our our vestibules with that we um, celebrate life and joy and beauty with. And a lot of times um, 
there are flowers that are produced in um, plantation style facilities where people are not paid a living wage and um, are subject to uh, very harsh working conditions and um, uh, sometimes uh, abusive working conditions. And so the fair trade community wanted to make sure that um, there was another sort of avenue for people to find an ethical alternative for something um, that people make their livelihood doing. So fair trade flowers are an alternative to these sort of plantation style um, abusive working conditions and uh, small scale farmers frequently cooperatives come together to um, to grow their beautiful plants. And you can find fair trade flowers through uh, fair trade international um, that are certified to make sure that people are being paid a living wage, that uh, environmental conditions are considered, that there's no child or slave labor incorporated in any part of the growing of our products. And there are also some um, some other alternatives. If you have a hard time finding Fair Trade International flowers locally, you can get them online or um, there are a couple of other certifiers as well. Um, the Interreligious Task Force is a convener of the Ohio Fair Trade Network, and we have a section on our website um, at irtfcleveland.org and a section on our website at ohiofairtrade.com that uh, gives people a couple of different links on where they can source fair trade flowers and um, more information about the stories of the um, farmers that grow our our beautiful plants. Hey, Chrissy, thank you. So uh, if I can phrase that a little bit, the best way, if you wanted to uh, buy fair trade flowers would be to go to your website or to search for fair trade flowers online. Yeah. Fair trade international flowers can get you lots of options, but we're happy to help direct you as well at irtfcleveland.org and Ohio Fair Trade Network. Oh, I'm sorry, ohiofairtrade.com. Okay. Tom, let's make sure we put that up on our website, okay? Uh, Chrissy Stonebreaker-Martinez, thank you for taking the time to be with us on Just Love today. Oh, thank you so much, Monsignor. It's my pleasure. Great. Um, Okay. Tom, so uh, are you you a flower person? I am, Monsieur. You know, I really have just uh, as, um, you know, kind of I'm getting a little bit, um, you know, older. I find that I'm giving flowers much more often. Like I find that what I do is I just give, I give just, uh, you know, for almost every occasion now, like, um, because I, I think the older that, uh, that people are getting, I think that people don't, um, you know, I mean, my friends have a lot of what they need. So like when it comes time for giving something, they just want to give something to make people feel good. I find flowers is a nice, a nice alternative. At least I think so. <laughs> and in um, movement spaces, we say that we want to give flowers, uh, you know, before people are passed on. <laughs> True. Yep. Um, so um, the uh, uh, Tommy is your, your, Mother of flower person, she is Monsieur. Yes, I would say she. She. Uh, I would say she. Basically, I mean, in fact, I gave them for their anniversary. I wound up giving them flowers as well. So, uh, you know, I mean, she's a big flower person, and I'm. I'm going to make it a point to go looking, and I'm going to actually make it a point to uh, 
go looking for flowers and uh, for her. And, and I'll make it a point of looking to be sure that they are that, you know, that they're that they're fair trade flowers, too. OK. All right. Um, OK, so um, that's uh, that's good. I'm glad that uh, that, uh, yeah, it would be be nice to figure out, Tom, and, you know, in your work with CRS and some of the other fair trade stuff, have you come across this? You know, Monsieur, I haven't. Um, you know, CRS concentrates primarily on fair trade um, food and 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 fair trade products and and like fair trade um, goods, like you know, hats or or other kinds of uh, of of things, hats or bowls or things, but right. not really fair trade flowers. I mean, fair trade flowers was something that uh, I think you know, frankly, is is a more recent phenomenon. I think, but it makes sense because if 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 we have if coffee is produced in fair trade and chocolate is produced in fair trade, I think, frankly, the flowers would have to be produced by, you know, by fair trade, too. It's, it makes sense to me. Yeah. And, it, it, you know, it was interesting. I was not um, aware. Uh, you know, I had always thought that um, that, uh, you know, that um, Holland was was a major place where flowers came into the United States, and I'm sure it is. I didn't realize, uh, you know, Colombia, Honduras was one of those those places. So, but I think it's good. I think it's a very, um, uh, very good thing for us to, to think about. Tom, just love. Just love God. Just love your neighbor. Just love yourself. And the world is more just, and it will be more just and more compassionate. Join us again next week on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM. 129. You're listening to the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129.